Thanks for taking the time to download this BBC Radio 5 Live podcast. To search for other podcasts you might like, click bbc.co.uk slash 5 Live, where you'll also find our terms of use. What, what, is, the, what is the digital equivalent? What, what's a hand signal that would work? It's this. OK, just checking. <laughs> oh, we're on. <laughs> What I'm trying to do. Sorry, what you're trying to do. We're starting with hand gestures. Okay, for, so for the people who, who aren't watching this on the live stream, because there is no there isn't live, a live stream. stream. What Look you at just, this product placement of my fizzy drink. What, what kind of fizzy drink is it's it? It's that one. Look. Is it refreshing and full of minerals? I know, it's just full of water. Here we go on. Yeah, thank you. Um, so what you were doing when we've just started this is that you were you were twirling your hand around. In olden were, times, there was a gesture. In days of old, we're, we're recording. Nights were bold, and it was circling hands, meaning is the tape going? Yeah, well? and you just did the circling hands the wrong way. You just did contrapuntally circling hands, That's and right. if your tape was on that, your tape would either snap Split, or it would all come off the reel. See, I knew where we were when we were reorganising ferric oxide particles. Yes, but I knew that. Yes, 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 yes. But. I don't know what the signal is for, are we recording digitally? It's this. It's you hold up a digit yes. and you pretend to press a button. Because it's digital. It's digital. It's digital. That's what digitally means. It means by hand. Wouldn't, wouldn't Did you know that? That, that so. is actually what, that's the origin of that word. So when somebody say this jumper was made digitally, it means it was yeah. made by hand. Is that right? It is, I yes. Will see, I'll see if I can mm. uh, use that. That's why digital music is better. Because anyway, it's handmade. That's what Neil Young thinks, certainly. Uh, Ruth Bow, you like Neil Young now? Because you never liked him, then you changed your mind. Was a, that was so that was long, long ago. Time ago. That's like when people say, oh, but you never watch television. Like, that was so long ago. And, you know, and, oh, you made that joke about Keira Knightley. Like, that was so long we, ago. Uh, and she's, there was a time when we didn't talk like teenagers. But that, that was, was like f- so yeah, long ago. Before that, we had teenagers. Ruth Bowyer, not together, you understand, just separate. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> that wouldn't be very good. Well, that would be a unique competition. Who would like to be brought up? By us. Yes. <laughs> what a terrible idea. <laughs> Does, but that would end in that. Would there thing. be any issues with that? Well, would there would... be any BBC issues? We know. could actually adopt someone on air do and we, bring them up. Do we, Robin, do we have to have a meeting for that? Yes, I think we so. Do. Okay. I don't want to go to a training course. That could be really, really that could be That's really unique, fun. though. A programme has never adopted a child. <laughs> well, there's a... What's... Um, oh, you know... Uh, that. Don't Look it up. Say, no, with Jim... Um, that's not me. With Jim Carrey. You, you know what I mean. Um, Truman Show. Thank you very much. Yes. The Truman Show. Yes. And that which, which begins with the first time in which a programme has legally adopted a child. Well, so if, that would be, like, be the Truman Show, but the difference is that we would just be normal. If you'd like to suggest your child... No. Anyway, Ruth Bowyer is 27. Hello, Ruth. And she's also BSc, MSc, winner of the most moonlight... Sorry, sorry, BSc... BSc, Bachelor of Science, MSc, Master of Science. Science. Winner of the most moonlike face, 2010. That's not an official... Where was that held? She doesn't tell us. Anyway, I'm writing to thank you uh, both, as you've once again played the role of inadvertent matchmaker. On Friday, I had the uh, fortune to enjoy the lovely company of a gentleman uh, that I'd met via the use of a flame-based dating app. I mean, a what? A flame-based dating app. No, okay. The, the, what is that? Oh, I can't. I can't say. Okay, well, make a gesture of it. It's, it, it's a flame-based dating app. I can't what, remember what is it's there, called. Is there a dating app called Fire? Is that what it is? There. I Why are we know. asking Robin? They're not even listening. Robin, they're listening to Classic FM they like are. normal. Can you stop listening to Steve Wright in the afternoon? Is there a dating app called Fire? That we can't mention for for product placement reasons. It's a flame-based dating app. This will come out anyway. 
It's it's Tinder, isn't it? I don't know. Well, I don't know either. Anyway, it'll come out. All right. I'd met via the use of a flame-based dating app. I'm yet to follow him on Snapchat, says Ruth advisedly. Our virtual match came only uh, came not only because of his charming good looks, but also because within his bio, he'd listed devoted wittertainee. And I was delighted to meet someone who shared my love of, in particular, comic book movies. So imagine our surprise. As we were waiting outside a veggie restaurant in trendy Soho, when the good doctor himself should amble by. We were so amazed, all we could do is stare without even mustering a hello to Jason <laughs> Wait, you said it. All we could do is stare. Deciding this must surely be some kind of portent of our future. We recovered enough to see Trainwreck. Hilarious, with enough romance without it being too schmaltzy. Then we went to see Man from Uncle the following night. Great lead chemistry and as slick as an otter's belly. And <laughs> in Mark's honour, we watched The Babadook on Sunday afternoon. Didn't bah, we didn't want to get any sleep anyway, says Ruth saucily at the end of the email. Oh, I see. So thanks again. I'm going to just do that end bit again because that was that was quite a nice little... I, I'll not spoil it this time. We went to see Babadook. It's fine. You spoiled the moment. Thanks. So thanks again and sorry for gawping. I look forward to joining you on the next cruise if this email doesn't scare him off. Well, you know, so well done, Ruth. I'm very happy that we were able to... And the fact that, you know, you're together and it's all very nice and then Mark sort of shuffles down uh, Soho on the way to a screening, that must be really, really exciting. Says the good doctor. I imagine that's you. I don't think it's me. Well, it could be either of us. Could be either. It of could us. be either. It could be you. I mean, you're the one that's more likely to be shuffling. Do you think? Yes. No, I stride purposefully and manfully. Do you? Yes. I've never seen you do that. I drag my foot a little. A bit, a bit of dropsy. No, uh, that's based entirely on Marty Fellman. Well, I, I just like to drag my foot like a <laughs> young Frankenstein. Walk this way. No, walk this way. Now, here's the thing. Would you like a roll in the hay? By the way, this... Roll, roll, roll in the hay. <laughs> this podcast, by the way, is slightly unusual because the... the Frau Blucher. The, <laughs> the show in the middle... I'm going to keep doing these like the sandwich contents... Werewolf. ...is only an Werewolf. Hour. Why are we talking about this? I thought you wanted to. No. The other... <laughs> so this bit and the other bit is going to be quite long. Okay. Okay. Because the show is short because of running. Do your favourite line from, from Young Frankenstein. Go it's on. sports day. No, no, go on. What's your favourite line from Young Frankenstein? Then I'll let you carry on. I can't remember now. Yeah, you can. Remind me what my favourite line is from Frank, Young Frankenstein. <laughs> Igor, Froderick. <laughs> that one. <laughs> anyway, what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to explain that the show, the actual on-air show is just an hour because of running in China. So we've got a, a, a little podcast bit here and then lots of other reviews picked up at the end. So anything that we don't cover is going to be in the podcast bit at the end. Yeah. An important email from James. Okay. I like the way that you... you it's important. That's, that's kind of Foley artist stuff, what you just did. Okay. Dear Eggie and Sausage, whilst driving to work at 4am last Saturday morning, I had the most recent podcast on in the car to soothe me into a new day. I've just started a new job working at the busiest single runway airport in the world, where I work as an airport security officer. I therefore feel obliged to clear up the confusion regarding fart guns on commercial airlines. Okay. Yes. Whereas I can understand the exasperation of a parent being unable to take their crying child's fart gun onto a plane, I have to agree with the regulations regarding this. Even though the item is totally innocent, unassuming and harmless in everyday life, an item such as this is classified as possibly offensive when brought into an aviation environment. It comes under the same classification as water pistols, two of which I had to confiscate from a family the other day with little pleasure, that are equally innocuous, knuckle-duster belt buckles and grenade-shaped... Sorry, what? Knuckle-duster belt buckles and grenade-shaped aftershave bottles. 
However, if brandished in a dimly lit and noisy cabin of an aeroplane, these items could cause an untold amount of distress. And you can see his point. Yes. Some could argue that discretion could be used on a passenger-to-passenger basis, but I'm glad that the rules apply to everybody. Situations of confiscation like these arise from infrequent, possibly a little naive flyers. There is absolutely no need for a fart gun, water pistol or any other weapon-shaped toy or accessory to be in the cabin of an airplane. Check it in with your hold luggage. Many people will think that it's ridiculous and petty, but it couldn't be further from the truth. Unfortunately, it's just a sign of the times for modern-day travel. It will always be like this. On a slightly different note, could Mark please give us his favourite scenes of erotic lacing up of projectors in movies? <laughs> I would cite Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards with Melanie Laurent's character faffing around in the projection room yeah. of a little Parisian cinema as a contender. I love the way you did that with a little Parisian but, I cinema. I mean, the main thrust of James is, but you can understand entirely. Oh, it's a, it, it is like a water pistol. Yes. You don't need it in your hand luggage. Put it in your big case and then everybody's going to be... No, it's, uh, and I'm sure, actually, um, doing the job and having to say to somebody, look, I'm really sorry, but you can't take that on the plane must be very difficult. And obviously we would rather that the job... <coughs> The job was done utterly thoroughly. The one thing I've had problems with in the past, which is weird, is, uh, you know, I play the harmonica. Uh, I mean, not very well, but... I have seen you do that. I have seen me do that. And in order to play um, the harmonica, each harmonica only plays in one key, okay? So you have a C harmonica, which you play across... Well, the whole of Skiffle is pretty much in one key, so that's quite useful. Yeah, that's not how it works. No. Each harmonica plays in one key, so for each song you play in a different key... You need key, a different harmonica. You need a different harmonica. Okay. And also you play across, so G and C and, you know, E and A, and that's in U and D, you know, U and you know. Anyway, so blah. So if you put um, harmonicas... I've got... The, the harmonicas that I use are these steel ones. They're not wooden. They're, they're really heavy. And if you put them all together in a you know in a harmonica rack, they look like something that's sort of deeply weird. And whenever you, they go through in the luggage, the luggage always ends up getting open because they're trying to find them. So, so I end up having to take them in the in the hand luggage. So, so I, they ask you to to play a few notes. I, I did get asked that. Somebody, I mean, I did, you know, not they didn't want to. They just wanted to, you know, this just is what, to prove that it's a because it, it looked yeah. They said, they said okay. But I mean, they were very friendly about it. I went. They're harmonicas. And they went okay. Show me. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There are harmonicas. You didn't play. What, you didn't play I did. A, I did. Uh, does your chewing gum lose its flavour on the post overnight? A couple of rounds of the Internationale and um, and normal. the harmonica solo from Isn't She Lovely? Excellent. Very good. Anyway, so we appreciate the uh, the wisdom from there, uh, James. We understand. I think so. So anyway, here's the show. Oh no, that's your line. No, no, it sounds better when you say. You Shall I do it? it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Just like, give it a slightly bigger sell. Go on, just te- it's a teach me. So what I go, go and now... OK, and what you go? Well, go that's very good. And then you would say something like... And now... Here's the show. Here's but, the show. But now, but you... But, but look at Santa's Day, you're looking forward to it. And now, here's the show. Perfect. Hello, good afternoon. Welcome to a, a slightly shortened edition. Well, we've got 50% of the programme. Uh, really, it's slightly it, shortened. That's savagely shortened. Because uh, uh, the uh, important athletics. So, and, and, a, and a quick reminder that the Well Done You competition closes tonight yes it's a little bit late probably to start but just a reminder if it's just been sitting there waiting to be uh, sent off go to the five live website all the details are there the well done you deadline is 6 p.m tonight if it arrives at one minute past six we will turn our backs with indifference can i tell you an interesting thing about well done you yes um there was a conversation on twitter recently between uh, somebody and the bbfc and they said you know ha- what's happened with silent running because silent running has always been a you and it's recently been 
It's now PG. And apparently it's recently been reclassified to PG because, as the BBFC said, we're constantly re-evaluating the standards of the use of... I thought that was particularly interesting in the middle of the world on Yukon that suddenly one of the things that I've always held as a touchstone U movie has become PG. Is there some kind of uh, peril or... Uh, there is peril. I mean, behaviour? Yeah, yeah, there's the end of all the Earth's forests. Oh, okay. and there's, yeah, you know... Yeah. All right, just that. Yeah. Anyway, so intense so, sadness as it's well. Intense sadness. But uh, so include all that, but uh, check all the details online. But it's six o'clock tonight. Thank you very much indeed. So we've got a shortened edition of the program. Uh, lots to get in, but this is very important from Toby Talon, age thirty-five and a week. I am a short-term listener of around three years, but would like to think of myself as a devoted member of the Church of Wittertainment. To show my devotion, I was wondering if there is a particular prayer that should be used. For example, I do not know what is said before sitting down to eat whilst on the cruise. If by chance there is no common liturgy in place, is there a liturgy? Is there a, is there a blessing? Not, or a... not that I'm aware of. No. I wondered if the High Order or other acolytes might like to provide suggestions. In the meantime, here is my starter for 11. Ready? Yeah. Our flagship film programme, Who Art on Five Live. Hello to Jason Isaacs. That's quite good. That's very good. This is like the Ian Dury thing, isn't it? Yeah. The Code of Conduct come the bottom... On earth as it is in Fairport Convention. Give us this day our daily rant and forgive us our exorcist as we forgive those who exorcist too against us. <laughs> and lead us not into the death of narrative cinema. Deliver us from 3D. For thine is the flappy hands, the fuzzy bear and the shut-up buttwood. For evs and best devs, totes emoji, what's up? <laughs> of course, I appreciate that this would be an ecumenical matter and look forward to your doctrinal thoughts. Well, it's not bad as a, as a start. It is, it is it, definitely really? it's definitely inspired by by the Ian Jury, isn't it? Our Father yeah. who art in heaven. Well, yeah, that whole idea. But yeah, very good. Hello to Jason Isaacs. That's, that's uh, very good. It's not very a bad good. start. Yeah. Pete Coleman, Grade Five tuber with merit. After many years of listening, I think I've worked out how to decode Mark's reviews for normal film watchers like me. Okay. There are five simple categories. One, Mark rants about it. I'll hate it too. Terrible film, probably offensive. Two, Mark is disappointed. Well, I'm taking a risk. It might be rubbish or it might be harmless popcorn fun. Mark is, meh, I'm going to like it fine. Probably enjoy it. Mark thinks it's good. I'm going to really love it. Mark eulogises about it with long words I don't understand. I will hate it. Hate it, it, yeah. Way, way too much like hard work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I hope this helps. And that's that's you, really, isn't it? That's exactly you. It's not far. It's not far. Sometimes sometimes we coincide. Sometimes we, we entirely agree. Uh, sometimes I'm more enthusiastic. This is certainly true. But anyway, mm. Pete is it's a very useful guide. Thank you very much indeed. And if you have any contributions to our opening uh, sort of grace or opening liturgy, uh, then you can email mayo at bbc.co.uk. You can text 85058. The, you can also watch the live streams. Very, very exciting uh, today. Particularly beautifully lit studio. Nice camera angles. Nice kind of aspect ratio. A lot of attention. Is to that detail. right? I don't know. It's the same as normal. Anyway, I'm just trying to make Did people... Dave Norris come in and fix it? He came it in and he adjusted the lighting. Okay. Just so that we look particularly good. Thank you, Dave. What is, we've got no guests, just lots of top reviews. What's new? Well, we're going to do the top ten. After the top ten, <laughs> just just tease us. What are the movies? Oh, I see. I beg your pardon. Fine. So we're tease. going to be doing Straight Out of Compton. We're going to be doing uh, 45 Years. We're going to be doing We Are Your Friends. And, of course, TV Movie of the Week. All that's to come before four o'clock. Everything else will be on the podcast. Box Office Top 10 at 10 is Minions. <laughs> but them. Uh, number nine is Trainwreck. So this is one of the three in the top ten this week that I haven't seen. Okay. Uh, fortunately, Daniel Allen has. Tonight I went to see Trainwreck at my local independent. Trainwreck by name, Trainwreck by, by nature. nature, yet another unfunny comedy. We constantly hear about Mark's feminist analysis of film. I want to provide a masculinist 
take on this, as quite frankly I'm getting tired of how men are portrayed in modern film. The male characters are pathetic, weak, annoying and completely subservient to the women in the film, especially Bill Hader's character, who is almost as annoying as Schumer's. Is this a fair depiction of the modern man? The reason we like Bond is because he's strong, calm and has an inner sense of self-confidence. Increasingly it's accepted that men are walking doormats, ready to follow women around like a loyal Labrador. I bet this won't be discussed and the film will be defended as feminist liberation. It's nonsense and it's boring. I haven't seen it. OK, not very helpful then. So that's the debate. Just the, just the, one, just the one side. That's done. Daniel, thank you very much indeed. Uh, okay. But if you'd like to take part, uh, you can email Simon Mayo, uh, Mayo at bbc.co.uk, not the other one. It's uh, the other one. Yes, Simon Mayo. That goes to Radio 2. Yes, it's, and that's it's, All Request Friday, right? Uh, that's that's the one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So if so, that's not good. Uh, well, it's very good. It's fantastic. <laughs> that's not good. If you want to take part that's in this... That's a headline. Simon Mayo says his own Radio 2 show is not very no, good. No, no, no. Plugging the wrong email. <laughs> that's, that's not good. Uh, all across very good. Okay, now that we've spoken about this show, your yes. show on this show, now when you do the Radio 2 show, you have to talk about this show as a reciprocal. If I, me- I will do it. It's if, a contra deal. If I mention the wrong email address. The Bad Education movie uh, is at number eight. So I went to see this. Uh, yes, you did. Uh, yes, I know I did. I went to see this in the morning uh, of Friday of last week and I came out of it and uh, you know I, I wasn't keen at all and I said how much I wasn't keen on it. And since then, there's been. Not as much debate about it as I thought perhaps there would have been. I mean, there's some people who've liked it. Boyd Hilton, for example, uh, argued very co- convincingly that it was, you know, a funnier film than I had thought. And I like Boyd very much and I respect his opinions enormously. Um, I didn't laugh all the way through the film and I went with a couple of other people, uh, you know, one of whom was very au fait with the TV series, one of whom partly au fait, and me, of course, almost not at all. And uh, I, you then said, well, how do you think it's going to go down? And I have to say that I just imagined that it was going to absolutely tear the box office up and do very well. I'm not sure how many screens it's playing in, so there may be a reason why it's only gone in at number eight. But... I thought it was a damp squib of a film and during the course of the week what usually happens is you know I'll review something like this and then during the course of the week I'll get tweets from people saying you you don't know what you're talking about I went to see the film it was absolutely hilarious I laughed you know you just haven't got any sense of humor you're you, you're not good at TV shows and blah 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 that hasn't happened I have had a few tweets from people saying, I'm really sorry, I went to see the Bad Education movie and it was really, really rubbish. And a few tweets from people saying, I went to see the Bad Education movie, it's kind of all right. I mean, I I seriously thought that it wasn't just that it wasn't working for me. Its problem was that it would probably let down the people who were fans of the show as well. And I have yet to come across a group of people who have taken the film solidly to their heart and loved it. With some, you know, with some exceptions, some people standing up for it and defending it very well. I thought it was limp and lame and I hated the whole uh, Cornwall thing about it because it just seemed to... The, the the Cornwall gag just didn't seem funny to me, and I'm not sure how that's playing in Cornwall. I mean, I mean, bizarre. I mean, you mentioned it's at number eight. We have genuinely had no emails about this film, and nothing, genuinely no, none at and all. Nothing on Facebook, which is why I'm not reading any out because there haven't been any. Mm. So either that, but it may be that it's only that it's playing in very few cinemas, but. But you said last week, I bet it goes straight in at number one. Well, I just, I just like, kind of uh, assumed that it was like that. going. But, if, but uh, Simon, if you can look up how many cinemas it was playing in, that'll be that'll be. Then we'll, we'll get an answer by the that's end. That's not of, me, by, by the, the way. End, that's number, a member of the production. No, but I mean, I know it's playing in a couple because I was looking at a couple that was showing it in you know when I was uh, when I was looking to go and see it first thing on the Friday morning because because anyway. it wasn't press screened the first time anyone saw it was on the Thursday afternoon, uh, Thursday evening, and the reason for that was that it wasn't finished. So that's uh, that's number eight. Vacation is at number seven. 
Did you ever see National Lampoon's Vacation, the original one? I think I saw National Lampoon's Animal House. Yes. And, pro- and maybe something came after that. But there was no. Vacation, then there was European Vacation, and then no. there was, you didn't I see it. Okay, I fine. didn't think so. The great triumph of The New Vacation is it's a film that makes you feel unbelievably nostalgic for the original Vacation, which was a film which I have to say the first time round. I mean, although I, na- I know now people kind of consider it to be some kind of comedy classic like up there with Caddyshack. I mean, it really isn't. The first Vacation wasn't that funny. The second Vacation... This the so the reboot vacation is one of those movies that imagines that because you have Ed Helms in it, what you're going to do is you're going to attract the crowd that went to see the Hangover movies, and so the humour is uh, coarsened to the point that we think this will attract the Hangover crowd, but yet it's still vacation. I mean, it's really flatulently unfunny, very very boring, longer than it than than it, I mean, it feels longer than it is, and I'm genuinely not kidding. Every single joke in the film is done in the trailer shorter and better. That thing about the secret of comedy is timing. There is one extended gag in the film in which they turn up, they're looking for a hot springs, they've, they've got to go this whole back route, and you, you know the gag because you've seen it in the trailer. In the trailer, the gag which lasts 17 seconds, go time it, they turn up somewhere, they want to be at the hot springs, they're in the hot springs, they find out they're actually swimming in sewage. Boom, thank you. That joke is 17 seconds long. In the film, from the bit when they turn off the road to when the thing comes, it's nine minutes. And, you know, what's the secret of comedy? Timing. Vacation. Andy P. Meekin says, as a fan of the series, except, of course, Christmas Vacation 2, I went in hopeful, but also with trepidation. Suffice to say, the film passed the six laughs test by a long shot. I was chuckling and laughing for most of the film. I found myself enjoying the antics of the dysfunctional Griswold family once more. The film plays nicely on shtick from the earlier films, Ridiculous Car, Woman in Red Sports Car, and so on. But it does its own thing. An enjoyable trip. Yeah. Mm. Robert Parker, a perfectly lazy comedy past the six laughs test. Nothing new, not a patch on the 83 classic, but worth a watch nonetheless. You see, that's the thing. that It's the 83 classic. I still don't think that the 83 version is a classic. Despite the fact it has so, you know, so much talent involved in it, I don't think it's a classic. I think it's one of those films that people remember more fondly. Pe- uh, Pixels is at number six. <laughs> and again, so the Pixels is a mess of a film. Narratively, it is all over the place. The fact that it's derivative and that it rips off other movies and other short films, one of which it credits, others of which it doesn't, is the least of its problems. You would expect from Chris Columbus, who I have always said in the past was a, a bean-counting director, and I've said before that you know Jason says Jason Isaac says that that's not true. Actually, he's much more creative and inventive than you expect. In the case of this. Actually saying that he's a bean counter would be some kind of, a, of praise because the film does not appear to have been put together by uh, by somebody who's just putting tab A into slot B or making the thing work in a kind of, you know, train rattling along the trackway. The f- film does not fit. It looks like it's been through umpteen different edits. It looked like they test screened it a million different times. There are gags in it that don't have payoffs. There, the whole The whole thing looks chaotic, but it looks expensively chaotic and not chaotic in a kind of exciting, anarchic, wow, where are they going with this kind of way? But chaotic in a kind of, really? Have you actually not thought out the plot points from that better than that? Uh, so that is at number uh, six. Number five is The Man from Uncle. I just say that it looks here that uh, the Bad Education movie is playing on 414 screens. So should it have done better then? Is that quite a lot? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, well, it's 414 screens. 
I got know, that bit. I got that bit when you said 414 screens. I I realized. Yeah. Well, you know, and yeah, yeah. That's well, yeah, yeah. That's so. I, I it looks it looks like people aren't rushing out in their droves. So, uh, Man from Uncle, here's an opinion from Sarah Siegel from uh, New Westminster in Canada. Following the hiatus, I'm going to assume that the good doctor has not had time to catch up on Guy Ritchie's latest offering. Would that be right? Yeah, no, I haven't. So here are my supplemental two cents. The film is a complete mess from beginning to end. The plot manages to be both overly simplistic and overcomplicated. The script seems to be cobbled together from five different writers, all working in separate rooms and refusing to speak to one another. And Henry Cavill's performance as the Bond-inspired American agent Napoleon Solo aims for Brosnan but lands on Lazenby. The film also <laughs> features a boat chase sequence... That's which, a great line. ...which looks like it was filmed on an iPhone with a couple of flash flashlights, which is all the more jarring because the rest of the camera work in cinematography is ultra-slick, retro and glossy. And yet, while I was in the theatre, I just found myself really enjoying the film's company, particularly thanks to Alicia Vikander and Army Hammer, who give their characters a depth and complexity that transcends the material that they're given and builds a chemistry that feels surprisingly natural and sweet in the middle of a lot of flashy, sexy, vacant sexuality from Cavill. Moreover, if you do like a 60s aesthetic, the costumes, cars and sets are all works of art. It's nothing lasting or groundbreaking or thought-provoking, but it was a good time at the movies with mostly charming cars. OK. I kind of want to see it. You, I know a couple of people who said, as, if you, as long as you don't go in expecting The Man From U.N.C.L.E., it's actually fun. So if you go, from, if you go to The Man From U.N.C.L.E. expecting The Man From U.N.C.L.E. on TV... Yeah, then you get you get kind of you know, but but if you don't go expecting a man from Uncle, if you go just go expecting a, something else, if I've still that, got my man from Uncle badge uh, on the inside of my school blazer, will I get him for less money? I don't know. Oh, Have okay. you? I'm, I've never even heard of such a thing. It was the really. Thing. It, it was, was the, the thing. thing at St John's Primary School in Croydon. If you didn't have a man from Uncle badge going around the playground, you'd be in big trouble. Wow, I had a shadow badge. SHADO, Supreme Headquarters of Alien Defence Organisation from UFO. Oh, which was mm. Ed Straker. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Wow, well remembered. They were good. Harlington Straker. In the Angels. In the film studios, yeah. Uh, anyway, so what was that you were saying about being old? Uh, Mission, Same age. Mission Impossible is at number four. Yeah. His, uh, his Daniel Childs uh, absolutely loved the show. I'm 17 years old. Uh, I'm an aspiring filmmaker who's currently making a teen spy short that's Attack the Block meets Bill and Ted, meets 007, <laughs> meets every Edgar Wright film ever made. Oh, and Mark, when you claimed that you were the yeah. only one who loved Scott Pilgrim, I was the other person screaming, me too! It's what inspired me to become a filmmaker. I'm a massive fan of the spy genre and I'm... Re- inquiring to find out if The Good Doctor will be doing a recap on Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. I went to see it last week, and it was by far my favourite of the series. It reminded me of why I love cinema. From the first time I heard the iconic theme to the ending credits, I was hooked. The action scenes had me on the edge of my seat. Every gunshot had me jumping out of my seat. The story is strong and satisfying and achieved what all movies should attempt to do, is to make us forget that we're watching actors and sitting in a cinema. I thought it was fun. I thought it was in- enjoyable fun. I, I, I like the stunts and I, I, I like Tom Cruise in it. On the subject of Edgar Wright, Edgar Wright has said that Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is the most requested uh, print of his films that could constantly going out, constantly playing cinemas, developing a real cult following. So all those people who didn't like it when it first came out, and again, I I, I think Boyd was a great champion of it when it first came out. Um, it's it it now has a, a very solid cult following, and it's certainly not the case that me and the other gentlemen, the only people there is a whole army of Scott Pilgrim is out there because it's a great great cult movie. It's Howard the Duck, but good, and I like Howard the Duck. So uh, Mission Impossible is it number four? Is the top three Sinister two? 
Is it three? If you can't get the main guy back from Sinister, get the other guy that nobody really remembers, send him, Deputy So-and-so, back in as the main guy and then just reheat, recook all the same old elements. Uh, The kids just look like outtakes from uh, The Devil's Backbone. As I said before, in the case of Bagul, no longer some sort of strange Babadooky presence, but actually just some goth lurking in the corner. I mean, as with so many of these horror movies, it just felt reheated and uh, undercooked and not scary. The only jumps coming... I, was, I saw it was sitting next to Trevor Johnson and very, very early on there was a very loud bang which made him jump, but that's got nothing to do with the film. That's and just who's a Trevor very Johnson? loud... He's a film critic friend of mine. A really good film really? I tell you, if you want to read good film criticism, you want to read sentences about that will make you weep, Trevor Johnson's the man. Uh, this from our Facebook page, uh, Juliet Wakefield, Sinister 2 was such a disappointment. For all its faults, I really enjoyed Sinister and found the Super 8 footage and the creepy Boards of Canada soundtrack quite chilling. Sinister 2 just turns into a dull Children of the Corn ripoff. The footage of the murders becomes silly rather than scary. The plot is dull and the cornfield chase set to the exact same Boards of Canada track that was used to such great effect in Sinister is appallingly edited to the point that it almost feels like a parody. The children's makeup is terrible. I didn't feel that Bagul is an interesting enough character to deserve the additional exploration of his black, of his backstory. Ultimately, the film just descends into the usual cattle prod jump scares. Uh, this from Cy Sharp, dear Frank and Quiff and the Monster. I went to a showing of Sinister Two for some late night thrills. Last Friday, the first Sinister had the odd jump scare, but it was actually unnerving because of the overwhelming sense of menace and impending horror. It achieved it through the unfolding investigation, creepy horror videos and the oppressive soundtrack. This time round, there's no investigation. No, The home video device is now overly familiar. Well, not home video, home film. And the murders depicted in them are now reduced to saw-like levels of convolution. Yeah. So all we have is the soundtrack, which isn't enough. The central leads are engaging, but perhaps the scariest thing about Sinister 2 is choice bits of dialogue like this. Have you? How have you been sleeping? Fine, except for the murdered people keeping me awake. <laughs> yeah, I know how you feel. Anyway, apologies to the filmmakers if I've got the wrong quote. I await their apology for your terrible film. OK, thank you, uh, so that's Sinister 2 at 3. Inside Out is at number 2. It would be so lovely if this does indeed do what some people are predicting it's going to do and become the first animated feature to win the Oscar for Best Picture. I know it hasn't happened before and I know that many people believe that there's just no way the Academy are quite that far forward yet, but there's always going to be a first time. I mean, Catherine Bigelow winning the Oscar for Best Director and Best Film was still fairly recently. I think it's wonderful, I, and I I think it has an outside chance, and I just think, on principle, it would be really great, really great, if an animated feature won Best Picture, and this would, this would be the one to do it, I think. There is a, a type of person that should not go and see this movie, and this is highlighted by Isabel, <clears throat> Isabel Sudbury. Having just moved to the other side of the world, 7,000 miles from friends and family, I should have probably realised that this wasn't the best time to see Inside Out. Sitting bawling in mutual homesickness might be a good way to bond with new teaching colleagues, but this should have come with a BBFC warning, don't watch if you've just moved home. However, oh, really? oh. as teachers, we're, we all loved how both well... Uh, how well both simple and complex emotions were dealt with and definitely felt this could enable kids to begin to discuss feelings and communicate what they're going through. So, yeah, so if you're feeling homesick, this is uh, <laughs> maybe give this a miss. Matthew Lamb, I don't, Dear Broccoli Pizza and South American Helicopter Pilot. I don't get that. Yes. Because well, the South American helicopter because because then he doesn't like doesn't like broccoli. Oh, that's they go to wherever it is and they can't eat. And then the South American, you know, we 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 left the South American for this. 
in the movie. I went into yeah. Inside Out prepared for something very special, but my preparations were useless, as experiencing a film this powerful left a slipknot shirt-wearing 16-year-old, it's myself, Matthew Lamb, in total teary-eyed amazement. Oh. If you're wearing a slipknot shirt, you don't want to cry at a cartoon. <laughs> anyway... Total teary amazement when the lights came up. Never have I experienced a film so striking that literally within 30 seconds my sleeve was being used for some tear brushing. And that was one of the many, many occasions. And on the flip side, it also ge is genuinely hilarious, breaking the six laughs before even breaking into a stride. All matter of topics such as uh, the losing, losing of innocence as you grow older, the difficulties of change and even depression are covered so touchingly, realistically and most important powerfully. Having grown up with Pixar and beginning to see a whole different side of the films I watched on repeat as a child. As I go to rewatch them, and this is uh, as an example of their transition, like Mark, I do wish that the duck is broken for an animation film winning Best Picture Oscar in a few months' great, time. Great, Come on, great. Academy, you know it's time. It's time. It is. It is time. Uh, and he says, could you say hi, shout out to fellow wit attainees, my mum and Sarah and history teacher, Mr Green, both prone to the odd reference every now and again. Excellent. So the number one movie is Paper Town. Not seen it. So uh, fortunately, a lot of people have. Playing on 472 screens. So doing rather well. Yeah. You are. You have all this fabulous information. I know, I've been given a chart. Uh, Jordan Brown on Paper Towns from Facebook. Utter rubbish, stupid characters, boring plot, nonsensical dialogue. Uh, Alexandra Steeland. We're not people to rant and rave about every film we see. After all, most things in life are average. So given the mediocre reviews, we weren't expecting much of Paper Towns. It's heartening to see a comic portrayal of teenage boys that moves beyond the lads, lads, lads stylings of other high school movies. Paper Towns quadruple passes the six laughs test and the friendships are so richly drawn that they even extracted a chuckle for some toilet humour. Others have criticised the film for producing yet another manic pixie dream girl in Margot, that is, a mysterious girl with no concrete personality of her own who exists only to satisfy the imagination of a teenage boy. But this is precisely the trope that the film aims to subvert. The claim weaved through the narrative is that Quentin is looking for fulfilment in all the wrong places. Margot, we realise, is just a normal person who neither the protagonist nor the audience know particularly well. And by putting a stranger on a pedestal, Quentin might fail to celebrate the relationships that really matter, uh, the same deep and lasting friendships that we have the pleasure of observing for most of this wonderful film. Uh, from Andrew Ford and Alexandra, a more recent convert from London and Milton Keynes. It is worth pointing out that Paper Town's um, uh, weekend tally is basically uh, to do with the fact that it's it's it had you know huge amounts of previews. So when you when you look at how much you know how much money it actually took over its opening weekend, that's a super long opening weekend. Kirsty, on this, Simon, your time shift is very confusing, like the plot in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. However, as you're on later today, same time, actually, just an hour shorter, and I can listen live with my other half, even though we're 125 miles apart. Just wanted you to say hello to my uh, to Andrew the firefighter and Bottom for our four-year-old son, Logan, who listens to The Men Who Talk Too Much uh, every week. Thank you, Kirsty. Interesting point from Hannah McCarthy. Has anyone else noticed, back to uh, Inside Out, has anyone else noticed that Riley's emotions are the only ones that seem to be both male and female, whereas the emotions of the other characters reflect the gender of their humans? Is Pixar making a subversive point about the fluidity of gender, or am I just reading too much into it? No, I hadn't even thought about it, but it's true. When we go into the mum's head, it's they, they're all, they are, I think they're all female. When we go into the father's head, I think they're all male, and the only other character is that, the boy at the end, and I think... That 
that's all mail in there. Can I just say, instantly looking at Charles Gant's excellent box office analysis, he says, once again, the real winner in terms of box office is Inside Out. Last week, it was kept off the number one spot by Pixels because of its uh, preview screenings, and this week by Paper Towns, which boosted its 744,000, which it actually took Friday to Sunday with an additional 1.3 million grossed Monday to Thursday. So it actually, really, in the real world, Inside Out is top of the charts. Super stats. Let's have that on a slow motion replay. Uh, We'll do TV movie of the week very shortly, but uh, let's do something brand new. So Straight Outta Compton, which is a rock biopic of NWA, originally slated, I think, to be directed by John Singleton, who made Boys in the Hood, now uh, comes to the screen under the helmsmanship of F. Gary Gray. Um, And it plays it rather straight. It is very much a sort of formulaic rock biopic uh, in which we get, you know, NWA coming together as a a major force and less so as a sort of cultural phenomenon, immediately selling records and sparking headlines and causing controversy. Here's a clip. Y'all just got a snapshot of how Americans really feel. We gave the people a voice. We gave the people truth. Yeah, but your songs... They glamorize the lifestyle of gangs, guns, drugs. Our art is a reflection of our reality. What you see when you go outside your door? I know what I see. And it ain't glamorous. You get AKs from Russia and cocaine from Colombia. It ain't none of us got a passport, so... (laughs) Might want to check the source. Next question. Will you be more careful about what you say, how you say it? Probably not, no. Freedom of speech includes rap music, right? But we exercise in our First Amendment, as far as I'm concerned. And the government wrote that. What makes the film work is central performances, uh, Curry Hawkins, Jason Mitchell, and of course O'Shea Jackson who, Jr., who plays his own father, plays as Ice Cube. And then you get Paul Giamatti as uh, Jerry Heller doing yet another one of those kind of wiggy managerial roles that he did recently. Have you seen Love and Mercy yet, the Beach Boys biopic? I, I have not. In which he plays Eugene Landy, who to all intents and purposes became, you know, Wilson's manager and is the sort of the Svengali figure in that. And it was funny seeing that and then seeing this and it's almost like kind of, we, want, we want somebody to play that. OK, fine, Paul, put on the wig and do another another one of those managerial roles. When the film works, it's because, you know, it has attention to interband detail and, you know, the music is powerful and the concert sequences are well done. And F. Gary Gray does have an eye for, you know, an eye-catching action sequence. And it's, it's odd how much of it sort of plays out like that. Where it falls down is that there is this sort of political, socio-cultural backdrop going on, which includes the Rodney King uh, beatings and trial and the Los Angeles riots. But the film is much less interested in them than it is in the internecine squabbling between the members of the bands and their record companies. And you do think, I mean, it's a long film. It's, you know, the best part of two and a half hours long. And it does all, it hits all the usual rock biopic things. So the band getting together, them, you know, recording in the studio, the sort of moments of inspiration in which everything comes together, the gigs, the... The riotous parties replete with completely unquestioned misogyny, the sort of glossing over the you know issues such as anti-Semitism and basically playing everything very, very surface. And it's a, in a way that's kind of frustrating because what you what you really want is something which gets below the surface and does more than that. So it's well played and it's watchable. It is too long. Um, it captures the energy of that time and some of the controversy, but it never dares to get underneath the skin of it. And I thought the strange thing was, particularly when you get to the time of the of the riots and all that kind of social upheaval, you really couldn't care very much about people squabbling about their record contracts. That seems to me to be to be a, a false step in the movie. It's a movie which is very kind of insular in the way in which it looks. That said, it is well executed and uh, and and watchable if far too long. 
you would think in two and a half hours there might have been room for the notorious story of when Dre assaulted the hip-hop journalist and uh, which caused, what, uh, what, and was sort of glossed what, over. What the film is attempting to do is to is to take that story and to do it in in to some extent the most popular way, but also, I think, in the most down-the-line biopic. I mean, it's interesting because I have a fondness for rock biopics. I've often said that one of the films I like the most is uh, The Buddy Holly Story, which I think is terrific. And actually, if you look at The Buddy Holly Story historically, it for, for various weird copyright reasons, it's kind of all over the place in its history of uh, Buddy Holly and the, and the Crickies. But I still, I absolutely love it. I think it still works around. I, I actually like seeing those stories play out on you know in movies. However... Knowing how to cut, knowing how to cut to the chase, knowing how, knowing best how to encapsulate the story without giving the audience the sense that there is any kind of glossing going on, and there is no question that in the case of uh, in the case of this, I mean, there's been much discussion about how much glossing there is going on, even just from the point of view of a sort of functional movie. I mean, I think it's it, you know it's well done, but it did feel like there's an awful lot of bagginess in it. Um, I'm looking at the time. Shall we do TV movie TV of the week? Mo- TV movie of the week. So Howard Robinson says, well, it's a good week, plenty of excellent films on your list here. Mark will choose Beasts of the Southern Wild, and I think I'd agree with him. Uh, Sarah Mayer, I love Troll Hunter. It's hilarious. My husband was really scared when it started because he thought it was a horror movie. In the end, he talked about it for weeks and would recommend it to anyone uh, he knew. Best line in it, in Poland, we don't ask, we do. Why problem make <laughs> when you no problem have? You don't want to make. And so on. I probably didn't give it the full troll. Uh, speak there. Steve Roberts, Mark will go for Peeping Tom or Beast of the Southern Wild. I'd probably go for Big Fish, Tim Burton's last truly great film. And John Sinfield, he'll go for Beasts, but it should be Dune. Sting in winged pants, that's all. What is TV Movie of the Week? Well, I'm actually going to go for uh, Wallace and Gromit and the Curse of the Were-Rabbit, oh, which is uh, 5.25 uh, Saturday, uh, August, uh, Saturday, obviously, August uh, on BBC One. The reason I'm going to go for it, and funnily enough, I think this is it, it's a movie that we've talked about a lot here in the program. I was very, very tempted to go for Beasts of the Southern Wild, which I absolutely love, and it's such an interesting film and such a kind of breakthrough performance for its young lead. The reason I'm putting it to one side partly is because it's 12.40 on Channel 4, and I for the, I know for the last few weeks we've had one of these things which is, oh, yeah, well, Mark's going to choose this because it's it's on at stupid o'clock on Channel 4. So, But also, the thing with Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Wherever, is this. It's an animated film, which is wonderfully animated and particularly since we've been talking about uh, Inside Out being I think perhaps the first contender that might have a chance of actually winning the Oscar for Best Picture which would be just so fabulous if it happened um in the case of Wallace and Gromit, it's you know it's 3D animation, it's stop motion animation, which is fantastically done. I think the film is. I gave my best cinematography award to it when we were doing the Kermode Awards all those years ago. It still looks absolutely brilliant. I must have seen it. 15, 20 times, and every single time you watch it, there is something else in there that you hadn't spotted. There's, there's just this throwaway jokes, there's details. It's it's a wonderful piece of work, and I think it works for all the family, and I think it has genuine darkness. And they, the, when they were making it, they went back to look at the Hammer movies to kind of get inspiration for how those would play out, and it's terrific. Uh, it's 3.45, we're here till 50 minutes. Any uh, movies that we don't cover will be covered in the podcast because we have a slightly shorter uh, edition of the show uh, this week. What else is new? Uh, shall we do We Are Your Friends? We Are Your Friends is, in my opinion, uh, Zac Efron, to some extent, back on form um, because he's been... And you love Zac Efron. I'm a huge Zac Efron fan and uh, he's been kind of off the boil recently with Bad Neighbours and with um, uh, that awkward moment, which was actually retitled uh, to Are We Dating Yet? 
because it didn't do, didn't do very well as that as, as that awkward moment. So in some sides, some territories, they they retitled it as uh, "Are We Dating Yet?" So uh, Zac Efron plays a young DJ called Cole, who is uh, up and coming wannabe DJ. He's into electronic music and dance music. All he wants to do is make the crowd sing, make the crowd surge. He wants to be some kind of superhero. Unfortunately, he lives out in the valley, and the valley is beyond the Hollywood Hills, so he's on the wrong side of it. So it's that kind of that wasteland, that sun-drenched wasteland in which nothing quite comes together. Through a chance encounter, he meets up with Wes Bentley, who is a superstar DJ. He wants understands how all this stuff works and starts to teach him how to find his own sound. Here's a clip. What is that? That one right there. What's that loop? It's a hand clap. Yeah, I know it's a hand clap, but what is it? Did you make it? It's a sample. Well, ironically, it's the only live thing in there. I mean, amongst all this other synthetic computer-generated garbage, that's one honest hand clap. Listen, I get it, man. I- I've been there before, but... You're not going to get anywhere using the same old sounds that every other laptop DJ is using. Yeah, but I mean, by definition, like, all electronic music is computer generated. Yeah, but it can be organic. Instead of that synthetic kick drum. Instead of that tinny keyboard. Music. Sounds have soul. Build them from scratch. Find new ones. Get your head out of that laptop and start listening to what the real world is trying to tell you. That's your problem. You don't listen. So what he does is he discovers that actually in order to make electronic music, you know, he needs something, some, you know, some kind of soul. So it's a, it's sort of a, a standard journey of discovery movie. Now, in a way, did you see that film Eden, the recent film Eden? Uh, no. Okay. No. So this is very much... You know that thing where you ask me a question? And, you, and yeah, the answer, the answer is always no. Yeah. Okay, fine. So this is very much Eden light in as much as it's kind of you know, telling a similarly influenced story, but in a, in a way which feels much more straight down the line, much less adventurous. It's also, to some extent, got its eye on Saturday Night Fever. You know, that story about you work during the day and then at night time you kind of come out to the dance floor and you, and you discover your... So, and I think to, to a great extent the director thinks that that is actually what he's making, and he's not. This is very, very derivative. The story is absolutely by numbers and it's sort of, you know... You, it plays out in a very formulaic fashion. However, I think it has charm. There's not a whole lot to love about it, but there's quite a lot to like about it. And one of the things to like about it is that Zac Efron's performance is very winning. It's good to see him back doing something, which, again, I think he's playing with his uh, with his image and the way in which people, you know, people people think about Zac Efron. Have you ever seen this film like The Paperboy, which is a really sort of smart bit of casting, and he's doing something which is really adventurous, then I think, with, as I said, with those two recent movies, he's doing something completely unadventurous. And in the case of this, I think he's charming, but also, you know, put upon, and you are you go with his character, despite the fact that the film in which his character is having to go through all this stuff is pretty flimsy. The music choices are well done. There are a couple of uh, well-orchestrated sequences. There's one sort of hallucination sequence, which is which looks like it ought to be terribly enough, but actually works out quite well. It also manages to do that thing, which is to make you interested in the most spectacularly uncinematic thing at all, which is the spectacle of somebody standing behind a desk twiddling some knobs. Because that's essentially what superstar DJing is now. It's like no longer you know, people playing guitars and drums. So, yeah, somebody yes. just going, you know, doing that sort of thing. So... The film itself is flawed, but it has a smarter soundtrack than I think some people have. I've seen, I've heard some very sort of negative reviews of it, and it's you know it's it's not brilliant. But what it is is an indication of Zac Efron being back on form again, which is great for me because I'm a huge Zac Efron fan. And it has a sort of strange, drenched, sun-drenched, bleached out 
washed out sense of melancholy, which occasionally reminded me of Boogie Nights. That's not to say for one minute that this is as good as Boogie Nights. It's not in the same league as Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights, Paul Thomas Anderson is a whole different league film. But it's odd. It has moments of oddness around the edges of the blandness. And I think Efron is very good in it. And Wes Bentley absolutely enjoys playing this this, um, superstar character who is sort of slimy and sort of untrustworthy, but actually then turns out to be slightly more interesting. So, as I said, flawed and certainly not original, but uh, worth it for Zach. Is he working his way back? To you, babe. Yeah, because I think he's been away for... In fact, he's never been on the show, has he? I don't think we've ever had Zac Efron. No, he, we haven't. Uh, Jason Isaacs once sent me a message from it Wasn't him. it a video? Wasn't he in a lift? The video Zac message Efron. with Jason Isaacs in the lift with Zac Efron, that's right, yes. Which frankly doesn't count as being a guest. But if he wants to put that right... Then no, but he did give fine. me a video message and I thought that was rather nice of um, him. Just on the subject of Paper Towns, yes. uh, which is the box office... Uh, number one. Number one. Just had time for a couple of letters. But Meg, uh, on this email, uh, wants to go back to, to Paper Towns. Parallel, she says, can be drawn between Paper Towns and another recent coming-of-age drama, Mud, which again holds the same ingredients of an outsider, loss of innocence and belief in a romantic dream. In both films, the romantic dreamers are male, which seems to be the modern twist on the teenage flick. The film's identity evolves as you watch, however. At times, this is confused. It's part romance, part Scooby-Doo mystery, part road trip, part comedy. Even the trailer is misleading, and Paper Towns never really settles on a clear personality. I have to say, if you've seen the trailer, you go, I've got no idea what that's about. It's clearly got two very winning characters in, but I don't know. The book is extraordinary, apparently. Uh, it was the most read book, I think, uh, on our recent holiday. By oh, comp- really? When I say okay. our recent holiday, that wasn't... We our recent holiday. We weren't... No. By comparison, this is something that the forefather of all teen dramas, The Breakfast Club, nailed down perfectly. That said, Paper Towns feels fresh and refuses to conform to the Cinderella notion that girls are waiting to be rescued or that they require a male character to define them. It's great to make uh, take my 15-year-old daughter to films like this. Paper Towns is an enjoyable, engaging watch with solid performances, doing a quality screenplay real justice. I wanted to stay in the company of the characters, which... Uh, you can't say more than it. No, on, kind of what you can say is that it has definitely bumped up its box office by playing five-day preview before it got to the to the to the weekend. And I think that Charles Gant's point that actually the film that is properly doing the best in the box office is uh, Pixar's Inside Out is worth making. Okay, which leaves us with the movie we were discussing a lot uh, last week. So 45 years, and uh, Tom Courtney came on the programme uh, last week and yes. did a fantastic job. Of walking of, around everything. Of walking around, I mean, talking all over the news, talking all, over, about the, the, talking uh, all over the cricket. cricket. He, he loved all that. He wasn't he was, quite sure if we were on air or not. No, and, and, and also it was, he was, it seemed to be at that point in his, when he didn't quite care if we were on air or not, because if he had something to say and he wanted, then he would just absolutely, which, which is, you know, what you want. Like was, Pisces rules the feet, for example. Pisces rules the feet. I have, I have used that uh, as my kind of... Lodestar this week. I, I, if, if ever I'm in doubt or uncertain about the world, I remember Pisces rules the feet and, uh, and everything seems okay. Yeah. Thank so, you, Tom. Anyway, the story of 45 years, uh, for those who didn't listen in last week, because actually Tom Courtney did a pretty good job of telling us the whole story. He did. Of, he did. He, he, I, I, this very rarely happens. Uh, yeah. It's just when someone is we particularly say this in, because it's, in discipline. They just yeah. go, yeah, the movie is about this, and then this happens at the end. Yeah. Okay. But in the case of Tom, we, we, we honestly, genuinely, I know people don't like plot, so we do go out of it. And this isn't a film which can be s- spoiled 
anyway really. by an explanation of the plot. But it was uncanny how we kept saying, this happened in an early scene. And Tom Courtney said, yeah, but once, by the time you get to the end, that all gets sorted out. And it was like, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. However, okay. ha- having said all that, yeah. y- it, there's still an ending with, it's still an ending with kind of mystery. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, that's, that's what I mean. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. There is no way. So anyway, so the story is... Um, it's based on a story by David Constantine called uh, In Another Country. And there are a couple who are approaching their 45th wedding anniversary, They, which they're having a big celebration for their 45th wedding anniversary. They didn't have it for their 40th because it turns out that he had some health problems. So the whole thing seems to be slightly out of whack because 45 years is a strange thing to celebrate. Just as they're coming up in the week towards the, uh, the celebration, a letter arrives telling him that a former girlfriend has been found perfectly preserved, the body of the former government, perfectly preserved uh, in the ice of the Alps where he went walking with her 50 years ago. It's a strange letter that comes out of the blue and he starts referring to my Katia. And immediately, as the spectre of my Katia, perfectly preserved from 50 years ago, comes into this household, relationships between him and his wife start to become slightly tense. Now, last week, we only have two clips of this movie. Last week, we played a clip in which it was immediately after the revelation of that letter. Here is another clip. I have to say it's not such a great clip, but it's just for a, for a, little, bit of, uh, a little bit of variety. So, I was in the village, and I don't know what happened, but th- that racist from the community centre... Mm, Sandra Wilkins. Yeah, her. She came up to me, right up to my face, and she kept asking me if I was all right. And when I said I was, she wouldn't believe me. I, I, I wasn't doing anything, nothing, just sitting on the bench by the duck pond, minding my own business and getting some air. Well done. All I was doing, promise. I believe you. The one thing that that clip does serve to do, although it doesn't actually serve to tell you anything about the plot, because the plot is paper thin anyways, it tells you something about the sort of naturalistic quality of the dialogue. And what happens in the case of the movie is the dialogue is very naturalistic. The Norfolk Broad setting is kind of strangely flat and, again, melancholic, which is direct... I mean, the director himself has said this. is kind of in direct contrast to the Alpine adventures of Jeff's youth. And... What happens is that although his wife has known, played by Charlotte Rampling, has known about this relationship, actually in the, in the, in the short story, at first she says, Catcher, you never said anything about a catcher. Well, the suggestion is that she, that she did know about it, but she's kind of suppressed it. In this case, she says, yes, I do know who Catcher is. But what she doesn't appear to know is the depth of the relationship which her husband had with Katya before he met her, before they started going out, before their marriage, before their 45 years together in which they have uh, made a home for themselves, which they talk about the fact they decided never to have children. They talk at one point about the fact they don't have photographs anymore. They'd like to have photographs. They'd like to have photographs of some of the dogs that they've had that to some extent seem to be sort of, you know, substitutes. And as the week goes on, and as we come nearer and nearer to the celebration, these strange waves of distrust of uh, attempting to reconfigure their relationship in the knowledge of something which happened before their relationship. And it's a brilliant, I think it's an absolutely brilliant portrayal of the persistence of the past, of the instability of the present. It is played largely, uh, directs uh, holding two shots in which some of the characters come in a frame and come out of frame. The performances are allowed to breathe. It's edited superbly in as much as 
the editing knows when to let a shot run. The music choices, which are diegetic music choices, are uh, the music that gets played, what they're listening to as they lead up to it, all seems to have a kind of, you know, sometimes it's commenting on their on their uh, romance, sometimes it's commenting on some strange back history that may have... And as the thing plays out, you watch through gesture, through facial expression, the story being told, leading up to, I, you know, I think, uh, you know, an extraordinary climax in which it's not to do with what is said, it is to do with what isn't said, and what is conveyed through gesture, through expression. I thought it the performances are terrific. I thought it was absolutely perfectly pitched and I thought it was a really remarkable piece of work from a very, very fine filmmaker. Well, that was the show and I thought it was pretty good. Did you? But then I always say that, so that doesn't... You really... don't. Quite often you say, I thought it was a little bit down. Sometimes when we've done really, really good shows, then you come at the end of it, you go, that's all right. Well, I, I tend to have a theory that the shows that you think are fantastic are, are probably less less good than you think, and the shows that you think aren't quite so good are actually slightly better than you think. Mm. That's my theory. It's okay. not much of it's not much of a theory, but it's a theory <laughs> it's, that is it's mine, mine. <laughs> and it belongs to me. Uh, so there's obviously because <laughs> we only had a short show, just one of the a very short. You know, show. can I just say the best thing about doing this program is because yes. you and I are almost exactly the same age, our cultural references are all similar, old. It is, it's very very true. So look, it was a short show because of running in China. So here we go with uh, with some other movies, which we would have got to, but also an email from Joe Smith in okay. Bournemouth. Okay, want to go first? Yeah. Simon Mark, I'm an LTL and FTE. I've never had the urge to write in, despite being a film fanatic. But then again, I never expected to hear two of my heroes give such a dissing to my pride and joy, the love of my life, the pedal steel. How my ears bled as you both battered the instrument, branding it hideous, comparing I didn't it brand it. I to a sewing machine... And stating it's not sexy. I'm only 22, says Joe. And having been playing the pedal steel for a while now, it scored me gigs with some diverse acts, performing at the Isle of Wight Festival and Llama Tree in front of thousands of people. Many people come up to me after my gigs to compliment me on its unique, beautiful sound. An instrument so difficult to play and wonderful sounding deserves some defence. I guess you could say I'm writing this letter on behalf of the pedal steel community, yeah. of which I may be the only member who listens to the show. Though perhaps... If there are any other pedal stealers, they can write in so we can establish our own area in the Wittertainment Church. Pedal steel pedestal is what I'm looking for. That's very good. Of course, other opinions are available, so perhaps add a track or two with the pedal steel into the playlist and let the other listeners decide for themselves. And suggested Out of Control, George Jones, Biscuits by Casey Musgraves and Panorama by Daniel Lumwer. All of those, all of those, or one of them, will be added to our playlist. And can I say right away? Yeah. Right away? Yes. Before you say that. What this was a reference to was the Proclaimers uh, playing pedal steel mm -hmm. uh, because they were doing Sunshine on Leith. This yes. is part of the Radio 2 uh, shows that we were doing in Edinburgh. And it's a reference to the fact that it is a bit a hunky old, you know, lump of metal and it's not sexy like drums or a guitar, but it's a beautiful sound. I it is an absolutely sound. wonderful sound. I mean, I, we played um, years ago, we did the Danny Baker show um, with... Uh, Nancy Griffith, and she played uh, Ford Econo line, and we had to pull in a pedal steel player to do that. It was absolutely brilliant. And that, you know, I'm a big fan of Come and Feel the Lemonheads. Big Gay Heart and Come and Feel the Lemonheads has got uh, pedal steel by Sneaky Pete, and it's just terrific. I think we should put that on because I really like that. Mm. We weren't, we weren't, I don't remember in any way dissing the sound. No, I don't think steel. we did. I think Joe heard. The, the merest hint of criticism. The merest hint. Actually and immediately... A, and immediately flew off the handle. But it's an unbelievably hard instrument to play. So, but his suggestion is, uh, 
Daniel Lenoir, I think Casey Musgraves probably because uh, she's completely fantastic. Uh, so we'll so we'll add biscuits to our playlister. Okay. System, if that's okay. Can we have you. Big Gay Heart? No. Oh, actually, no, because we'd have to have the, the radio edit, wouldn't we? Well, we can have the radio edit of Big Gay Heart. Yeah, if there's the radio edit of that, that's great. It's on, it's on Come and Feel the Lemon Heads. It's terrific. All right. So uh, you always know that when there's a turn away from the microphone, that's Mark looking at Robin. And if Robin says that's okay, that's okay. So it's definitely. You, you know, know, I think our audience that understand okay? that. Is that all right? Yeah. Is that okay? Can we yeah, go in? I think they right. get it. Have you got anything else you want to do? Oh, you're right. Uh, is that okay? Yep. What else are you going to do, Mark? Uh, should we do some other films? That's what I'm hoping. Yeah, good, fine. So let's do Barely Lethal. Um, this is the film that tells you, hey, summer holidays are nearly over, and the, 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 that noise that you can hear is the very dregs of the barrel being scraped. Oh, really? Yeah. So the uh, story is Hayley Steinfeld, who was so terrific um, in True Grit and has been rather poorly served by roles since uh, she is part of a secret agent programme, raising kids into uh, lethal agents who can do lethal things. She doesn't want to do that. What she actually wants to do is go to high school and watch Clueless and Mean Girls and get a life together. Meanwhile, Samuel Jackson is the former trainer who doesn't want her to go off and do that, but actually wants her to concentrate on the mission in hand. Here's a clip. Meet Victoria Knox, American expat turned arms dealer. If you're a terrorist and you want to kill some folk, this is the person you call. Don't let her good looks fool you. She has an IQ of 140, and she will use it to kill you. She was last seen in Corsica three years ago, until she resurfaced eight hours ago and will probably be gone in eight more, unless we bring her in. Correction. Unless you catch her, Agent 83, and bring her in. Alive. Wait, what? Simmer down. You're B-team, 84. B-team? This should be my mission. I studied the case file. She's over there sniffing Kesha, the new fragrance by Kesha. I said, Simmer... You need to get your head in the game, Agent 83, because Victoria Knox will take it off. And so uh, during the course of her mission, uh, she fakes her own death, goes off to high school, uh, trying to put her lethal past behind her. But of course, it all catches up with her. So the, the number of things wrong with this. I mean, the first one is not very funny. Second one is terrible punning title. Third one is it reminded me of uh, Sam Jackson in that film Big Game, which couldn't couldn't quite decide what the age of its target audience was. So it couldn't decide whether it wanted to be a sort of slightly grown-up action thing or something that was playing entirely teenage or something that was playing to younger audiences and didn't know, and it kind of ended up falling in the middle and, as a result, wasn't you know, wasn't any good. Uh, this has very, very low-rent action sequences, very, very low-octane comedy, many moments in which... There's one there's one extended gag in it in which Hayley Steinfeld's character is talking to her new girlfriend uh, who, says to, who says to her, have you ever killed somebody? And she says, no, I haven't. And they start having a conversation about that. The girl's mother then overhears and thinks she's talking about something else, thinks they're talking about sort of normalcy. And it's just like one of those extended... Not funny, uh, slightly toe-curling and a little bit rubbish gags that just makes you think double maths doesn't sound that bad after all. I mean, it's it's really not good and it really is the end of the holidays and it really is, I imagine, going to have a very, very limited opening. So it's a shame because, you know, some of the people in the cast, I like them, I like it. Is it one of those kind of Samuel L. Jackson, what are you doing? It, yeah, it, it, is. it is. It's exactly one of those Samuel L. Jackson, what on earth are you doing? Um, a better movie than that, which you'll have to seek out because it's playing um, limited screenings uh, you know, around the country, but it is playing in various places. This film called Addicted to Sheep, which is um, 
documentary which played at the Sheffield Doc Fest and went down very well. And uh, it's a documentary about a year in the life of uh, Pennine sheep farmers who are attempting to raise the perfect breed. Here's a clip. He has little things that isn't right. He isn't wide enough there. His head should be a bit wider. And he has a slight discoloration there, which isn't a good thing. And where his hair's thinned, where it's just a bit baldy there, that shouldn't be. It should be full. He should keep it. And it should be a bit wider there. And it should be a bit shorter here. And these horns are a bit wide. We were just discussing in the pub the other day that Swaledale sheep are one of the worst addictions known to man. There should be a government scheme helping people with such addictions. So anyway, you basically... I wonder you, where that noise is. I know, I know. It's, it was the music in the film. So anyway, the, the film follows uh, this family, the Hutchinsons, who are very, very good company. Um, it's very affectionate, but it's not at all sentimental. I mean, there is, you know, as you would get with farming, there is life and death absolutely coexistent. It's not all sort of sweet and anthropomorphised. Uh, some of it is to do with the kids at school talking about their aspirations, what they like about the rural life, what they don't like about it. The things that are brilliant about it is they get to live on their own farm and they've got all this space and nature and they're working with it the bad things about it is that sometimes it's really really cold um and the kids are an absolute joy um themselves seem to be like they're 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 really good company and they talk you know and describe their lifestyle in a way which is very funny and very engaging um interesting for me of course because i'm a vegetarian and uh you know but it, it i thought the documentary was very well made it does that that thing of managing to capture both the beauty and the bleakness of the landscape. So you do get the sense that, you know, they're living a tough life and they're doing it because of something that they're driven to do. As he was saying, that the, you know, the addiction to sheep is uh, something which is, uh, you know, very peculiar. And I, I mean, it, it, I think the best way of describing it is it's kind of pitched somewhere between Etre Avoir, the Nicolas Philibert film, um, and uh, Michelangelo Framatino's La Quattro Volte, which you always described as the silent goat farming film. Um, despite the fact that you haven't that seen like it, kind of review. I know, and I just I attempted for ages and ages. Like you remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking uh, about Dance of Reality, and uh, even as I was describing it to you, and your face was falling. You remember well, this? It was utterly bewildering. It was only last week, but you know, it was only last week. It, yeah, was, it was one of those movies that clearly you were going to enjoy. And I, but I think you should give it a go. But I think you should. I mean, this is very, very well well worth seeing. It's um, it's very engaging. It's as good as that. Then what? It's. It's as good, it's as good. No, it's not as good as Dance of Reality because no. that's a whole that's a whole that's, that's a whole, a whole, whole other yeah. thing. But I liked it very much. It's very well made. Uh, the director is somebody who has a first hand experience of this anyway. And it's as I said, it's made with affection and insight, and and they they have really locked out with their sort of key protagonists because they're 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 really good company. And I I I, I was uh, charmed by it. I thought it was uh, very interesting. DVD of the week in just a second. But Ben from Concord, New Hampshire. Yes. Uh, I heard I heard Barack Obama speak in Concord, New Hampshire, for Five Live. It was uh, one of those moments that I just thought I'd... No, nothing. Dear uh, Mark and Simon, I took a chance on Barely Lethal last night despite a flood of tepid reviews from America, and I was glad I did. Oh, the really? never took itself seriously. And once I'd established that I shouldn't look for any realistic stakes, I was able to relax into the formula and enjoy myself and the film thoroughly. I laughed many times, even cackled wildly at a few gags. The script wanted to have 
The self-awareness and lack of reverence of Easy A and the director wanted to capture the warm beating heart and action beats of Gross Point Blank. And while the latter fell down significantly, the opening mission was unconvincingly staged and edited and was an unfortunate way to welcome people to the film. And the reason I suspect why many critics gave up on it, I do think the screenplay was smart enough and provided a solid ground for some creditable performances. OK, I'm utterly astonished. Uh... It's funny that you point out about the opening sequence. There are some <clears throat> superimposition shots in this that look like they look so naff that you're you're looking at them thinking, "Have you put that helicopter on that screen in that way that looks like?" I tell you what, it reminded me of. Have you ever seen Teletubbies? Of course, I've seen Teletubbies. Fine. You know the bit in Teletubbies when the three boats come sailing in. Um, if the three boats come towards it, the camera, right. okay. And they, it's this terrible bit of perspective work that they're really small. They're far away when they're along. They're far away from each other when they're a long way. We go. This is like Father Ted and the cows that are small and cows. And then they come towards the thing, Winky and then they turn. Or Poe. Uh, they aren't uh, driving them. You mean in whose in whose on whose television yes. it happens? I can't remember which one. I, I can't remember. I just remember that Teletubbies is anamorphic sixteen by nine. Anyway, Who, who's driving the boat? Liam Neeson is driving the boat. That one. Okay. Ben concludes, I know Mark traditionally dislikes movies where he suspects the actors have all had a grand time making the film. They didn't even look like they'd had fun making it. That's the honest truth of it. I didn't dislike it because it looked like they'd had a lot of fun and I hadn't. I just thought it wasn't any good. If if you saw it on Channel 5 on a Friday Friday afternoon, you'd think blimey standards have slipped. Nobody watches television on a Friday afternoon because they listen to the radio. Ah. That's exactly what they're doing. That's great, then. Cool. So, DVD of the week. Yes. uh, You can... Oh, yes. You can discover the secret to an immaculate home cinema collection with Wittertainment's DVD of the Week. Follow Mark's easy week-by-week recommendations and watch as your commemorative display shelf fills with the finest Betamax selections. Shelf includes in... Fu- shelf included in... F- future issue. I didn't see that bit. Should have prepared that bit. Yeah, that gag didn't quite work out for you, did it? No, no, no. But it's a, it was a top script. Hey, I like this music, by the way, don't you? It's It's great. 70s kind of... It does feel like I'm about to be told that there's an Indian restaurant just walking distance from this cinema. I thought it was a little bit Dallas. Oh, okay. Kind of incidental music from Charlie's Angels. Need new shoes? Just round the corner from your Wilkinson Shoe Stores for all the finest in shoe holdering. Anyway, Ian Miles says, uh, I think Fast From would be my choice, though it isn't as good as the original. Pressure Fast From? Far From, but is it a gag? No, I don't know. It says Fast From. Yeah, OK. Have you not seen Fast From? Let, <laughs> let me tell you. Let me tell you. What's it like? Let me tell you. What Fast happens? From is one of the most extraordinary films. Is it Jedi? Which is why okay. Ian Miles has, has really chosen recommended it. Because there, uh, there was an earlier movie which wasn't quite so fast. But this is the... And then there's Faster From, and then yeah. there's Fastest From, which comes after. Yes. Pressure looks like it's worth a look. Mark is going to choose Far From the Manning Crowd. Paul Starkey, I think Mark's going to pick Far From the Manning Crowd. I also think he's going to mention the fact that it isn't grubby enough. Uh, Ian, You Schultz, don't really need me, do you? Ian Schultz, medium cool, I hope. Hello, Ken. Ian. Hello, Ian. Yeah, hello, Ian Schultz. Hello, Ian Schultz. Do we know Ian Schultz? We don't know Ian Schultz. Oh, I know no. Ian Schultz. Oh, it's just you. It's just one of your friends. I'm sure Are these all fun. your friends? Sure. Yeah, they're all my friends. All and of now them are my a feature friends. called Mark's friends. friends. Get in touch to choose a DVD of the it's week. It's a very short feature. It's Pressure Top 5, Hot Tub Time Machine 2, Monsters Dark Continent, The Good Lie, Medium Cool, Decoding Annie Parker, Bad Words, Phoenix, Body, Robbery, f- not Body Robbery, <laughs> Body Full Stop, Robbery Full Stop, Far From the Manning Crowd, and of course, Fast From, 
which is uh, the big, big bestseller from a few years back yeah. with all the stars that you love. Yes. What is David? Last week it was The Falling, by the way. That's the first on your shelf. Yeah. What's and the have you, can I just, have you seen The Falling yet? What, since last week? No. Okay. But I'm, you know, I'm hoping to build up my shelf yeah. completely. And then when it's a complete shelf, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a it's thing of be beauty. A shelf. Okay. Is this, yeah, I think that's what. That's how it works, yeah. Okay. So, yes, my, I mean, my, my DVD. Can I have we... a Blu ray, please? Yeah, you can if you want. That's fine. Thank you. Can I do the thing now? But what is the DVD? My DVD of the pick of the week is indeed what Fast is Fast from the Madding Crowd <laughs> with uh, Vin Diesel um, is stepping into the... He, was, he would be really good. He is, Mr. Oak, yes. Um, so uh, for two reasons. Firstly, because I, I like this adaptation, although as the, the email writer quite rightly said... It, the email writer who you didn't know... Paul Starkey. Paul Starkey said, mm. you know, it, it, it isn't grubby enough under the fingernails, but what it does do is it kind of redefines to some extent the character of Bathsheba Everdeen and makes her into much more of an overtly feminist hero, which I quite liked. And I thought that Kerry Mulligan did, you know, played the role really, really well. I mean, I think Vinterberg is a very good director. It's odd having seen this so close to having seen the Schlesinger version again, because as you know, Nick Rogue oversaw the uh, the restoration of the Schlesinger version, which played briefly in cinemas in this very nice transfer and then available uh, on home viewing. And it, and it looks absolutely wonderful. In the case of this, they have streamlined it. They have made it much more mainstream, but they have also sort of attempted to do something interesting with that central uh, character. Uh, we had Kerry Mulligan on the show and it was the week that we were launching the film Thing. The thing that you and I did. Yes, the lovely visual thing, still there yeah. on the Five Live website. Yes, so yes. I think this would be a very nice opportunity to flag that up. And uh, shall we play a clip from Far From That Crowd, followed by a little clip of your interview with Excellent. Kerry Mulligan in which you just stared at her totally doe-eyed throughout. Now you've all met our new shepherd, Mr Oak. You understand your duties, Mr Oak? If I don't, I'll ask, ma'am. From now on, you have a mistress, not a master. I don't yet know my talents in farming, but I shall do my best. Don't suppose because I'm a woman I don't know the difference between bad goings-on and good. I shall be up before you are awake. I shall be afield before you are up. It is my intention to astonish you all. Back to work, please. I'd never read Madden Crowd. I didn't do it at school. I'd read Tess and... Um, Mayor of Casterbridge and never picked up Madden Crowd. So I came to it um, just for the film for the first time completely with no real idea about the story apart from that it was set in the country. Um, so I sort of felt like I, it was my my Bathsheba from my reading of it. Um, and uh, I think what Thomas, the director, Thomas Winterberg, did was make her um, empathetic. And that doesn't mean necessarily putting things exactly or words or dialogue exactly from the page onto the screen, because it's a different feeling, it's a different sensation that you get from reading to as you do as a viewer. So I think she's more empathetic on in our version, um, so that the audience is sort of behind her story more. I mean, I think that that's, that's exactly what the charm of the film is. There are... it Because it, 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 you saw both of them, didn't you? You saw the Schlesinger as well as the... Nope. Oh, I mean, you, I, did, you saw, I did many years ago. I only saw the Kerry Mulligan version at this time. And you liked it, right? Yes, absolutely. I, and I plead guilty to the whole staring at Kerry routine. But she's she's fantastic and she's really, really, really smart, brilliant interview and has done... I mean, I still... 
I, I think she's a really fine actress. I absolutely loved her in um, uh, Never Let Me Go, which I think, which is a great and really, really underrated film. A really, really good and very dark and very, very strange film. Anyway, uh, yeah, so Far From Mad and Crazy. It's the kind, of, the kind of film that you don't like Eddie Marsan in because he's so... Well, he's very brilliant in it. Yeah, he is. But nasty piece of work. And Shame, of course, which she's fantastic in. And uh, she's very, very good. She's the, mo- she's the main reason for uh, embracing Far From the Madden Crowd, the Thomas Vinderberg version, as opposed to the John Schlesinger. But the Schlesinger is also now available for home viewing and do grab a copy of it because it's terrific and Rogue has done a fantastic job on overseeing the restoration. So that's the DVD of the week. So what else is out there? Uh, Hitman Agent 47, um, which, you know, once again raises this question of uh, video games and uh, whether or not we're ever going to get a good movie out of one of them. In this particular case, no. I'm rebooting the Hitman series... Um, so the story is uh, Rupert Friend is the not very threatening man, bald man in a dodgy suit who has been born and bred to act as a killing machine. Hannah Ware is the really not very interesting heroine who's got to unravel the labyrinthine plot in order to discover why it is that people keep chasing and running her. But what you, I mean, the whole thing goes from, you know, one action sequence to one talky sequence, to one action sequence to one sort of talky exposition sequence in pretty much boring fashion here's a clip from early on which i with zachary quinto who i thought oh fine zachary quinto's in it i like him the film's going to be interesting we've got all the noble stuff we've got loads of stocky cakes to enjoy birthdays with and all sorts of amazing things We've got live music from Z, and what else could you bring to Newcastle? Oh. Hmm. That's the production team having what is broadly known as a joke. That's, that's, that's the hitman and her. That's the hitman and her. How about that? Isn't it? With uh, Mr. Waterman. Mr. Waterman. And is it Michaela Strachan? That's that like Michaela, Michaela Strachan. Strachan. How about that? The hitman and her. The hitman and her. That was a peculiar television program. That was like three o'clock in the morning or yeah. something like that. It is. is is this a movie? Is Kayla yeah, no, no. Strachan in this movie? She is, yeah. She's in it, and uh, and so is so, so is Pete Waterman. Banana Rama have got a very brief cameo. Should we hear a bit with Zachary Quinto? If we must. You want to tell me what's happening now? The man you're looking for, his name is Peter Aaron Litvenko. Who is he? Your father. I don't know much. Only that he's a geneticist, an expert in human biogenetics, who spearheaded a program of experimentation. What kind of experiments? The kind that created killers. They engineered human beings by targeting and enhancing specific genes. The resulting subjects were stronger, faster, more intelligent than normal people. They were called agents. What does any of this have to do with me? Why do they want to kill me? Crichton Technologies has restarted the agent program. They're building agents right now, like 47, maybe worse. They believe that you're the key to finding your father. I don't understand. Oh, that I don't understand and actually don't frankly care. Um, It's funny because through all the the action sequences and the smash em ups and the shootouts, the only thing you're really conscious of is the product placement. I mean, there's a certain there's a certain car that the movie seems to be saying to you, you know, that stuff with the plot. Don't worry about that. It's a Skoda. It's a Skoda. Yes, that's right. Do you remember all the old Skoda gags? Yeah, they kind of don't work anymore. They don't, because do now they? Skoda are apparently a yeah. tip-top brand. How yes. about a Trabant? Is it one of those? No, it's a larder. Oh, OK, fair enough. Yeah. What do you call a moving larder? On tow. Yeah, see, that doesn't work anymore. Why? Because... Larder haven't suddenly become a fantastic cutting-edge brand. Haven't they? 
I went across Russia in a larder. I'm never getting in one again. That that could be a book. That could be your next book. Across Russia with a larder. It's already a whole chapter in an old in an older book, which oh, yeah, you haven't I remember, read. I remember that. Okay. There's quite a few things I forget. But mm-hmm. anyway, but that was a great that was my favourite chapter. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was really good. Thanks. Dead um, amaze. Anyway, Hitman, Agent just 47, not good. Thing in? No, that's it, we're done. We're done. Well, I thought you were great. Thank you. Way. Really, really Thanks. Did a first rate job. That's great. Do you have any of your harmonicas on you? I don't. If you, which, do you have a favourite key to play a harmonica? I always found that uh, E minor is the saddest of all keys. No, D minor. Um, I, well, never mind. Is D minor sadder than E minor? Yes, in Spinal Tap, it's D minor, which is the saddest of all keys, isn't it? Could you illustrate it next week? Yeah, I can I, I can bring the harmonicas in next week. Would you like me to do that? I would like you to. And do I can that. do a request slot. Okay. You can, you can, you can, you can nominate a favourite movie theme, and I will... A lot of do sh- something terrible with it. I'm shaking heads through the glass. They're all going, oh, you've got to be kidding. No, but it is going to happen. It's definitely a thing. Mark is going to take requests, harmonica requests. It's a new feature on the show. Expand the empire. There's a hit album here. Thanks. On digital and online. This is BBC Radio 5 Live. bbc.co.uk slash 5 Live.